Chapter 19 of Halsworth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Renee, April 27, 2020. Halsworth by Francis Hodgson Renee. Chapter 19. Before the week's end, all Broxton had heard the news. In the works, before and after working hours, groups gathered together to talk it over. Haworth was going to talk French and partner. It was hard to believe it, and the general opinion expressed was neither favorable nor complimentary. Haworth and French, said Floxham in a sarcastic mood. Haworth and Co. And a nice chap, Co. is to the high place. We an had no patent, silver mountain, back action, puddling rakes after afore long lads, if Co. gets his way. Upon the occasion of the installation of his new partner, however, there was a natural tendency to not that the ceremony in question was attended with any special manifestation on the part of the individuals most concerned. French's appearance at the works was in chief feature, but the day's labor being at an end, several gentlemen, engaged in the various departments scorning to neglect an opportunity, retired to the who'd have thought it, and promptly rendered themselves insensible through the medium of beer assisted by patriotic and somewhat involved speeches. Mr. Brierly, returning to the bosom of his family of a late hour, sat down by his fireside and wept copiously. I'm a poor chap, Saron, he remarked. I shall never get took in partner by nobody. I'm not in luck some, and I never were, except in when I get in the If thou'd keep thy nose out of the beer mug, they'd do well enough, said Miss Brierly. But this did not dispel Mr. Brierly's despondency. He only wept afresh. Nay, Saron, he said, it is not beer, it's misfortune. I o' less were misfortunate, exceptin' when I get in thee. Things is in a bad way, he proceeded afterward. Things is it a bad way. I never said them. I the leet till I heard Foxy Gibbs make his speech tonight. The more beer he gettin, the elly winter he were. There'll be trouble with the backbone and sinew if there is no summit done. What art thou drivin at? fretted his wife. I cannot make no sense out of thee. Canada? he responded. Canna thee, Saron? Well, I do not wonder. It were a good bit before I straightened it out, my son. Happen I had not gettin things as they might out be yet. There were a great deal o talk and a good deal o beer, and as a man had been unfortunate, is like to be slow. After which he fell into deep and untroubled slumber, and it found impossible to rouse them. He spent the remainder of the night in Granny Dixon's chair by the fire, occasionally startling the echoes of the silent room by a loud and encouraging ear ear. During the following two weeks, Hosworth did not go to France. He spent his nights at his own house in dull and sullen mood. At the works, he kept his word as regarded French. The gentleman's lines had scarcely fallen in pleasant faces. His partner was gruff and authoritative, and it not given enthusiasm. There were times when only his good breeding preserved his outward smoothness of affairs. But, he said to his daughter, one does not accept good manners of a man like that. They are not his forte. At the end of the two weeks, there came one afternoon a message to Haworth in his room. Murdoch was with him when it arrived. 
He read it, and crushing it in his hand, threw it into the fire. They're a nice lot, he said with a short laugh, coming down on a fellow like that. Then an oath broke from him. I'll give up two or three things, he said, and they're among them. It's the last time, and he took down his overcoat and began to put it on. Tell him, he said to Murdoch as he went out, tell him I've gone home, and I shan't be back till morning. Keep the rest to yourself. He went on, shutting the door with a bang. Murdoch stood at the window and watched him drive away in his gig. He was scarcely out of sight before a carriage appeared, moving at a very moderate pace. It was a bright though cold day, and the top of the carriage was thrown back, giving the occupant the benefit of the sunshine. The occupant in question was Rachel French, who looked up and bestowed upon the figure at the window a slight gesture of recognition. Murdoch turned away with an impatient movement after she had passed. Pooh, he said angrily, he's a fool. By midnight at the same day, Haworth had had time to forget half of his scruples. He had said to his neighbors what he had said to Murdoch, with his usual frankness. It's the last time. We've done with each other after this, you know. It's the last time. Make the most on it. There was a kind of desperate exultation in his humor. If he had dared, he would have liked to fling aside every barrier of restraint and show himself as his worst, defying the world. But fear held him in check as nothing else would have done, an abject fear of consequences. By midnight, the festivities were at their height. He himself was boisterous with wine and excitement. He had stood up at the head of the table and made a blatant speech and roared a loud song and had been laughed at and applauded. Make the most on it, he kept saying. It'll be over by cockcrow. It'd be a bit like a chap's funeral. He had just seated himself after this and was pouring out a great glass of wine when a servant entered the room and spoke to him in a low tone. A lady, sir, has come in a cab, and, and then the door opened again, and everyone turned to look at the woman who stood upon the threshold. She was a small woman, dressed in plain country fashion. She had white hair and a fresh bloom on her cheeks, and her eyes were bright with timorous excitement and joy. Jem, she faltered. It's me, my dear. Hawar stared at her as if stunned. At first his brain was not clear enough to take in the meaning of her presence, but as she approached him and laid her basket down and shook his hand, the truth revealed itself to him. It's me, my dear, she repeated. According to promise, I didn't know you had company. She turned to those who sat by the table and made a little rough curtsy. A dead calm seemed to take possession of one and all. They did not glance at each other, but looked at her as she stood by Hawthworth holding his hand and waiting for him to kiss her. He's so took by surprise, she said. He doesn't know what to say. He wasn't expecting me so soon, laughing proudly. That's it. I'm his mother, ladies and gentlemen. Haworth made a sign to the servant who waited. Bring a plate here, he said. She'll sit down with us. The order was obeyed, and she sat down at his right hand, fluttered and beaming. You're very good not to mind me, she said. I didn't think of their being company, and gentry, too. She turned to a brightly dressed girl at her side and spoke to her. He's my only son, miss, and me a widder, and he's allers been just what you have seen him now. He was good from the time he was an infant. He's been a pride and a comfort to me ever since the day he was born. The girl stared at her with a look which was almost a look of fear. She answered her in a hushed voice. Yes, ma'am, she said. Yes, miss, happily. There's not many mothers as can say what I can. He's never been ashamed of me, hasn't Jem? If I'd been a lady born, he couldn't have showed me more respect than he has, nor been more kinder. 
The girl did not answer this time. She looked down at her plate, and her hand trembled as she pretended to occupy herself with the fruit upon it. Then she stole a glance at the rest, a glance at once guilty and defiant of the smile she expected to see. But the smile was not there. The only smile to be seen was upon the face of the little countrywoman, who regarded them all with innocent reverence, and was in such bright good spirits that she did not even notice their silence. "'I've had a long journey,' she said, "'and I've been pretty flustered, though not being used to travel. I don't know how I'd have bore up at first, being flustered so. If it hadn't been for everybody being so good to me, I'd mention my son when I had to ask anything.' and they'd smile as good-natured as could be, and tell me in a minute. The multiplicity of new dishes and rare wine bewildered her, but she sat through the repast symbol and unabashed. There's some as wouldn't like me being so ignorant, she said, but Jem doesn't mind. The subject of her son's virtues was an inexhaustible one. The silence about her only gave her courage and eloquence. His childish strength and precocity, his bravery as good temper, his generous ways were her themes. He came to me in time of trouble, she said, and he made it lighter, and he's been making it lighter ever since. Who'd have thought that a simple body like me would ever had a grand home like this? And it earned and bought by my own son? I beg your pardon, ladies and gentlemen, looking round with happy tears. I didn't go do it, and there's no reason for it. Except me being a little taken by surprise, though not being exactly prepared for such a grand place and gentlefolk company, as is so good and understands a mother's feelings. When the repast was at an end, she got up and made her little curtsy to them all again. If the gentlefolk would excuse her, she would bid them good night. She was tired and not used to late hours. To the girl who had sat at her side, she gave an admiring smile of farewell. "'You're very pretty, my dear,' she said. "'If I may take liberty, being an old woman,' "'Good night. God bless you.' When she was gone, the girl lay forward, her face hidden upon her arms on the table. For a few seconds no one spoke. Then Haworth looked up from his plate, on which he had kept his eyes fixed, and broke the stillness. "'If there'd been a fellow among you that had dared to show his teeth,' he said, "'I'd have wrung his cursed neck.'" End of chapter 19 Recording by Elizabeth Renee, April 27th 2020.